Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, listeners, and welcome to the latest installment of MBM's M&A Snack and Chat podcast. I'm Brian Shaw, corporate partner in MBM's London office, and I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, Caroline Urban. Hi, Caroline. Hi, Brian. Hello, everyone. Hi, Caroline. Can you briefly remind the listeners of what they can expect to hear on today's show? Yes, absolutely. So for those new to the show, as Brian mentioned, each episode, we catch up with clients or advisors in the M&A space. We keep it light, fresh, informative, and of course, entertaining. Usually we wrap up in 20 minutes or so. So first things first, though, as it is called the Snack and Chat podcast, I think it's only appropriate to talk about what we're uh, munching on. So Brian, what have you got today? Well, as you can probably tell in my voice, I'm a little under the weather. So snacking on a eucalyptus, got to keep the Aussie theme, a eucalyptus uh, lozenge to keep the airwaves clear as they can be, although they're not, not working so well at the moment. Caroline, yourself? As we're heading into Easter, I'm snacking on not your typical lint bunny, but a German Milka chocolate egg. But um, enough about the snacks, right? Let's let's get on with the show, shall we? Yes, absolutely. So today we are joined by one-time founder, now turned VC investor extraordinaire, Tong Go. Tong co-founded a data analytics business in China and grew that business from its humble beginnings of the original founders to 35 people in a short space of time. She was able to exit and then moved to the UK shortly thereafter, where she turned her hand to venture investing. Tong is currently an investor with ADV, managing a portfolio of 15 companies. It is much pleasure that I welcome Tong to our podcast. Hi, Tong. Hi, Brian. Hi, Caroline. Uh, Great. Now. Thank you so much. And uh, <laughs> sorry, I totally interrupted you there, but I'm so curious to hear what snack you are snacking on. So I am having a Canera. What's a Canera? Yes. So it's actually a new brand of biscuits that handmade by a friend of mine apparently he put a lot of ancient indian whole grain ingredients and spice in there it's pretty good for afternoon tea break well we shall try that. There's a little plug for your friend <laughs> we'll try that later in the show so tom i've given you a brief introduction but you know where did it all begin for you and how did you end up where you are today so i was born in beijing in the 80s and then moved to, with my family to shenzhen in the early 90s that's where as you might know, um, the economic reform happened mm-hmm. um, in China. So there, I really witnessed how people who were entrepreneurial were able to take their fate in their own hands and made a better future for themselves and their kids. Uh, I went to study computer science and, and electrical electronic engineering in Imperial College. I've always loved engineering and technology since a young age. Um, so technology is something I always wanted to do. After Imperial, you know, I, I knew I wanted to work around technology, but wasn't sure what's the best angle. For better or for worse, I decided to go into investment banking, which actually later on proved to be useful for, for my next venture. After six years, I felt that I really wanted to create something more concrete. And this is basically when I founded T-Sense. Well, that leads nicely into into my next question. So, um, you know, please tell us more about that journey. I really wanted to create something, use technology to to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted to explore the the China market because I knew from my Shenzhen experience that 
you need to position yourself at the right place, at the right time, a place that's experiencing rapid growth. That's where the opportunities come from. I decided that I want to move to China and then start my own business. Our, our vision was really to build a data analytic tool that can um, take different types of event data over time and using machine learning and data visualization. And then through that, we can extract simple truth uh, like trends or anomalies within the set of data. And then we can find uh, insights from it. Um, so what we did is basically we crawl data from uh, e-commerce websites. Basically, you can see a whole picture of the entire sector, but caveat is only uh, products that's been sold online. And in China, many more people buy things online uh, compared to the West countries. And also people love commenting. We built this SaaS software for decision makers in, in, uh, in consumer companies. Um, so we raised um, a seed round with a strategic investor. So the reason why we end up taking their money was because one, they really see the, um, the value add of Tsense in their industry. And they welcome technology to be combined with their, with their human expertise and insights. They think this is the best way to go going forward. And eventually, um, we built the team to 35 people, mostly engineers, um, and then exited T-Sense to our strategy investor. At that point, I've decided that um, really this is a journey that I've learned a lot. I, I've and then stayed for a little bit to help integration between the team and the, the consulting group and uh, decided to turn page to the, to the next journey for me. Would you, um, I'm, I'm curious, having taken investment from a strategic investor, how does that, how does that um, influence you or have given you experience in the investment work that you do now, which is, of course, VC, not so much strategic? Great question because it's a double-edged sword now having been a VC investor for for quite a few years it's so clear that the, the some of the mistakes were made at the time so for example when they gave us investment proposal we thought great they want to give us money and also they want to help us introduce us to new clients we basically sold uh, just over 50% of, of our cap table, which is mm. obviously a red flag, especially if it's you're chunky. selling that to a strategy investor. Mm. Yeah. So it makes you quite dependent, very dependent uh, to this investor. Specifically, also your clients are coming from them. So at the time of exit, then, you know, negotiating for a fair valuation became quite difficult. But obviously the value add is, you could argue that if it weren't for them, we might not have been progressing so fast, being able to build a business with about $1 million recurring revenue because we build the products that people actually use and people love. And we've got feedback really early on. But either way, I would say don't give away exclusivity early on. Don't do anything that compromises your, your independency. Hmm. Uh, although, you know, raising money is pretty crucial for early stage startup but there's things if you gave up early it'll be very hard to get it back later 
even now we see companies we invest in where they would raise whatever money they raise and they sell 35% of the business. And then they do that again because they need money and then they sell another 35%. Really quickly you realize that the founders don't have much left and it becomes quite difficult for later stage uh, investors to come in and mm. basically be able to invest in it because then the founders are not motivated enough or they're not mm. independent enough. So if you really are looking for investment from strategic investors specifically, ideally you raise from, um, this is also from a venture capitalist, obviously. So I, of course, I say that, but if it's strategic, <laughs> you probably want to raise from more than one because it makes you more independent. Hmm. And either one of them should uh, be less than a single low digit percentage. So it, they don't influence too much um, on your cap table, you can still hopefully access the resource they have. Since we're talking about exit, one of the two things I found useful was that, one, from my investment banking experience, because I worked on M&A deals, I was able to, uh, using financial model and thinking about what's the long-term growth of this business, what's the market size, uh, you know, what's the comparable uh, multiples look like in the market, to demonstrate mm. and negotiate, you know, what our future value could be worth, you know, as a starting point of a negotiation. But back to the first point I mentioned, you know, they had a lot of leverage on us. Mm. You know, it helped, but it wasn't, you know, the deciding factor. I think another thing is understanding the underlying legal from a early point also is helpful. You know, we like to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically, have good lawyers who work <laughs> alongside you. Really, from. <laughs> Your first fundraise because mm. you, they was they will know things that will have a big implication on your business down the line. You're bu- busy building the business. You're not going to necessarily scrutinize every single clause in in a ten page term sheet. But having someone who's got experience to do that mm. is really helpful, and they can work alongside you all the way to exit. Needless to say, the founders themselves also need to educate themselves with you know what it means with the key terms and rights so that you don't step into any traps. How does fundraising in China compare to the UK in the sort of broad terms? The VC market is quite mature now in China in the sense that there are a lot of international venture capital firms there. So it's quite competitive. They're good companies for investors. I think in general, not even just fundraising, but in terms of companies, the market size is just huge in China. So most of the entrepreneurs don't really think about how do you go international early on. Compared to the UK, that's very different, right? Because if you found a business here, unless the UK market is large enough for you to generate hundreds of millions of revenue, you normally at some point start thinking about, okay, which other markets make sense mm-hmm. for us to, to expand? Do you have a business model that's scalable easily into other markets as well? Competition, both from entrepreneur side and as I mentioned, from fundraising side is, is more severe in China. So if you come up with a business model or concept that smells success, you see competitions right away and there'll be a lot of copycats. What you have to do is just race really quickly and then run ahead of other people. So it's more cutthroat, but then the winners could become really big. I've done a few Chinese deals. Well, more Chinese investors are investing into UK companies. Yeah. And I found that, you know, the Chinese investors are much more, are more controlling. 
they might be taking a minority stake, yeah. but they're much more controlling in terms of, well, their reserve matters are, are, are very long. It's more of a trust issue than anything. Mm-hmm. What, what I'm, would that be correct to say? I think that's probably right because there are so many entrepreneurs trying to build quick wins. Mm. Um, so I think as a result, you don't really know which one to invest in actually people thinking about the long-term impact of, of the business or of the shareholders or the stakeholders. So you invest in things that, that's hot, but at the same time, there might be things underneath you just don't have time to even understand or to reveal by the time you made a decision. So I think that probably is one of the yeah, reasons why. why they like to yeah, take yeah, for more instance, control. Yeah, for instance, you know, they had a signature on the bank account. They wanted to be a signatory on the, on the account. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one way of, so, yeah. you know, shortcutting an EDD. <laughs> you can't use our money until we sign off on it. So, mm-hmm. interesting. But turning to the UK now and mm-hmm. your current role as, as a VC investor, what are some of the traits that you look for in founders and that are signs of a potentially successful business when investing here in the UK? I think it's probably a, a question that applies wherever you're looking for entrepreneurs. And I think having done a startup myself, it's really helpful for my role now in venture capital. When you're looking at early stage company, you want uh, ideally two founders. One is the commercial guy, one's the tech guy. What I'm looking for is really, you know, first they need to have passion of what they're doing. And mm-hmm. I always ask, tell me in the background, why are you guys choosing to do this instead of looking for a job? Because you're both very smart. I think they need a long-term vision why they want to do this and, you know, also understanding why what they build can bring positive influence and impact to all stakeholders along the way. Once you have that in mind, it means that uh, it will be more likely they can get buy-ins and support along each step of the way as they, they grow the business. So a long-term vision and passion is really important. And then they have to be resilient because it's very hard. You don't want to invest in founders that... Uh, on a hard day, they're just going to quit. Interesting that you say that you look at te- you know a tech guy or girl and a be you know and a marketing BD you know kind of person as as the two founders rather than a single founder. I think ideally uh, a team is better because one person can never shoulder all the problems. So yeah. if you can work with someone, um, you can have someone who you trust to build a company together. Also, just in terms of skills. Unless you you have one person that embodies both commercial knowledge or some amount of commercial knowledge Mm. and also the technology expertise, that's great, but that's more difficult to find than two people. And you can bounce ideas with each other as well. Um, So Mm. founder, often we see them having issues trusting other people when they hire a team. And they're (laughs) more likely to think other people working for them rather than working with them. Mm. But I mean, I'm massively generalizing because a lot of successful companies also so founder. Um, mm. But I prefer to see, you know, a CEO and, and, and a CTO. Yeah. And next one is really hustle and execution. We all have great ideas. Uh, I'm sure at some point we all had an idea that could have, if we have done that, it would be, we'll be like billionaires today. But <laughs> successful founders are those ones who are able to get things done and then being able to get in front of people. Part of that is really, you need to know your stuff, your industry, sort of this part of passion as well um, and really be top on top of it. Last one I could think of is really the founders able to listen to input. So 
normally, you know, we meet the founder, we'll probably meet them over a period of, of three, four weeks at least. And then you get a sense of how well they take advice or suggestion. Are they able to take the right advice and push back the wrong ones? That's also important because you want them to always hire people who are better than them so that you build a stronger company because when the companies go to a growth level, the investor is not going to just look for this characteristic of the founder anymore. They're going to look at the team as a whole. You need really the expertise of that whole team to, to lift the company to become 100 people or 500 people. It would never be just, a, you know, just one person's job. What are some of the ways that VCs can help the founders to maximize that growth? What's a way of supporting them? Three things. So one is lifting them out of the everyday operations. Mm. So, so just helping them think about long-term things. And then and two is really, you know, the hands-on support from, from the investors through their own experiences. Everyone brings their own expertise that they can contribute to the founders. I think this mm-hmm. third one, as the company grow, having a network, not just in the UK, but globally could really help the founders to test other markets, uh, having the market know-how and then help them to really expand into other regions uh, and make sure they understand what are the local cultures and everything. That would really help them grow as well. Very interesting. The last question I had on my, on my list was looking at the UK early stage market as it is today. You know, what sectors do you think have the greatest growth potential? If a company came to you today, what sector would excite you? I'm a generalist. I think every sector has its potential um, uh, winners. We don't normally have specific sector focus. I think UK market as a whole has really matured a lot in the past decade or so. From a funding perspective, I think entrepreneurs have now more opportunities to find really good C-stage investors to support them and, and their growth. I guess I'm not really answering your question, but <laughs> it's really because I, I think every se- sector can have uh, winners. Chinese investors often focus on what's the next hot thing. Mm. And I'm not sure this is really the best way to look at it. I mean, some sectors, in my opinion, are, are slightly crowded. And some mm. other ones, perhaps the market timing is better. But within that sector, you still have unexploited opportunities as well. I personally like platform model that's easily scalable through other people building on top of your technology. But then a direct SaaS model could also work as well. Thank you so much. And that was very, very informative. So it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. And just before we end the podcast, we have just enough time to do our rapid fire round. So Tong, you will have 60 seconds to answer as many questions as you can in that time. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. In one word or phrase only. On your mark. Get set. Where did you go to school? Winchester. Favorite food? Uh, if you were having a dinner party and could invite three guests, live, dead, or fictional, who would you invite and why? I would invite three close friends because then it's more chill and, and, and I can spend time just um, cooking for them. The strangest place you have visited? Uh, my first country I've ever been abroad was 
Aulu in Finland. Hmm. Favorite movie? Movie. Uh, usual suspect. Good one. Hmm? Uh, and if you were down to your last 10 quid, where would you invest it? Put it in, a, in 10 startups. Diversify my bet. That's probably the best advice I've received. So, Tong, thank you very much for participating in MBM's M&A Snack and Chat podcast. Thank you very much for your time. So that's it for today. Thank you for joining us again with Tong Go. Please join us next time when Caroline and I will be joined by another special guest and where we will chat and snack all things M&A. Goodbye. Goodbye.